0: Hello and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson. I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby?
1: Man, I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: Uh, you know, it's been a rough 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So a couple things. One, you know, I always listen to tunes, just a random song on the way over here. Right, right. And right. I try to, like, make something of it. I have no idea. The, the song I heard on the way today out of nowhere was Young Lust by Pink Floyd. Mm. So not mm-hmm. sure where that's going. Yeah,
1: I'm not either. Go ahead. But
0: then, you know, you roll into the studio and you're expecting to put down a good show. Yeah, people will be welcoming sure. and what have you. Yeah, you know ahead. what the, You know what uh, Big Jules, our fabulous producer, offered today? What did she say? She's like, hey, would you like some Slim Fast? Wow. Right?
1: Whoa. And that just—it's
0: uh, not what I was expecting.
1: Whoa! Right it's, off the bat. Right I mean, off just, the bat. Just... And then
0: to make it worse, I got offered some slim gems, but they're they're the turkey kind. Right. Right. And I thought, well, okay, at least I like. Slim. Well, then and then, well, you came in and ate two of them.
1: I did. They were really good. So uh,
0: I'm hoping we're going to turn the corner real soon here.
1: <laughs> I hope so too, buddy. <laughs> For your sake. <laughs> For your sake.
0: Well, together on this show, we listen to the legendary tracks in the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs that they're sampled from. Tob, what are we listening to today?
1: We are listening to the song, More Than a Feeling, by the legendary rock band Boston. Let's hop in the DeLorean to hear exactly where this track came from. Rewind! Hmm, that sounds familiar. Definitely does.
0: Well, besides being perhaps the response I wanted to give to Big Jules when she offered me the Slim Fast, uh, can you can you please tell the good people what we are listening to? Yes,
1: I can. Yes, I can. This is a song entitled "Screw You, Young Man's Blues." <laughs> by and John. So this is off his sixth studio album entitled "Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player," released in 1973. Now, there's no way that we can start this conversation. With his sixth album. Yeah. There's also no way that we can cover everything there is to know about this man and his accomplishments.
0: That is very true. But what we can do is give it the good old-fashioned college try. So let's start from the beginning.
1: Absolutely. So Elton John's real name is Reginald Kenneth DeWight. And he was born on March 25th in 1947 in Piner, Middlesex. And for those that don't know, that's located in Southeast England. He was raised largely by his grandparents in what's called Council House. Which is the equivalent to public housing over there. Right. So he started playing piano at the age of seven. He showed a lot of talent at an early age. And, you know, Joe, we've discussed a lot of artists on this show. But let me tell you this, right? There's talent and then there's talent. Yes, sir.
0: And he's he's definitely of the latter variety. We see it time and again. Some folks just have that it factor that really just
1: sets them apart. Agreed. So one story about Elton says that he once played a four-page piece by Handel. Right, by memory, after hearing it just one time. What? I mean, that's incredible, right? That's freaky I mean, incredible. Who does that? Four pages.
0: Yeah, for memory once. That's uh, that's like savant territory. Right. Well, Elton's father was a flight attendant in the Royal—no, he was not a flight attendant. That's a whole different <laughs> thing. <laughs> he was actually a flight lieutenant.
1: That's great. That's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, whatever Elton's dad's name oh, is, for insulting the Royal oh, Air Boy. Force right now. But uh,
1: Yeah. I'm <laughs> pretty sure they don't have flight <laughs> Mr. <assignments. laughs> Dwight, we apologize. <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, his dad really worked him hard. It's trying to steer him away from a career in music. And apparently, he wanted him to have a more stable career like banking or maybe perhaps insurance.
1: Right. Could be. Possibly. So what's so interesting about this story is that one could say that Elton's dad is partly to blame for Elton's love for music. So both of Elton's parents loved having music in the house. Elton's love for rock and roll started with listening to Elvis Presley records and other artists as well. I mean, his parents will always have albums in the house. Go to record stores. I mean, they made a big deal of having a lot of music in the house. That's a fun home. Yeah.
0: Well, his father Should was actually uh, <laughs> right. His father was actually a trumpet player in the Bob Miller Band, which was a you know, sort of a semi-professional big band that played at military dances. Obviously the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because Elton was soon playing at family gatherings and eventually won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music, where he sharpened his skills.
1: From everything that I have read, it doesn't appear that his mother and father had a good relationship, nor does it seem that Reg was close to his dad at all. Oh, is that what we're
0: gonna call him Reg now? Yeah, I like call him.
1: You like me That's going cool. Yeah, Reg.
0: Like we know him. This is fun. <laughs>
1: So his mom and dad fought a lot, and eventually they got a divorce. His mother actually remarried a local painter, and there seemed to be a lot more support in the household after that happened. Yeah, here's a quote from Elton describing
0: this time period for him. My dad was in the Royal Air Force, so he was away from home a lot, and when he got back, he tried to impose new rules about everything, how I ate, how I dressed. That would set Mum off, and I got the feeling they were staying together because of me, which just made things more miserable. Boy, how familiar does this sound to so many people right the best way to escape it was to shut myself off in my bedroom with my record collection and my comics and drift off into an imaginary world fantasizing that i was little richard or ray charles or
1: jerry lee lewis So that's a really, really good quote. And like you said, I mean, how many people have actually gone through something similar, right? So by the time he was 15, Reg was playing everything from standards to Ray Charles at pubs on the weekends. So he started wearing horn-rimmed glasses to imitate Buddy Holly. And then in 1962, Reg and his friends formed a band called Bluesology and backed artists like the Isley Brothers Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells, and Major Lance. And one of his friends in the band was a six foot seven gentleman by the name of Long John Baldry. I think I know where he got his name. Mm hmm. In 1966, Bluesology actually became the backing band for Baldry. Now, that may seem a little weird,
0: but Baldry was pretty well accomplished in his own right. And look, not everyone can do this. Let's listen to a song called Let the Heartaches Begin.
1: He has a very distinct voice. That is a true story. <laughs> I win. That
0: girl
1: for sure.
0: He's like the male equivalent of Shakira. So <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> well, he, he does have a distinct voice, in which was probably why he was able to do that on one day. And then later his voice became, well, he was the nemesis of a Sega video game system. Uh-huh. Mm, you remember Sonic the Hedgehog? I do. Yeah, do you remember Dr. Robotnik? Okay, okay. Yeah, Are I you let's... telling me this guy's one of yeah, the same? Let's hear Long John Baldry as Dr. Robotnik.
1: I want hundreds, thousands,
0: enough so every citizen in Robotropolis could come
1: down rolling one Rolling those. Night, yeah, it's nice.
0: Huge
1: bags. <laughs> <of presents>. Huge. <laughs> Good stuff. Talk about diversity. So I know we strayed a bit from Reg, but I thought it was important because Long John Baldry was important to his career. How important, you ask? Important enough to change his name to pay homage to John Baldry.
0: Yep, so Reg Dwight changed his name to Elton John, and thus paid respects to both of his bandmates, Elton Dean and John Baldry.
1: So I heard in an interview about Elton John that stated that Bluesology wouldn't let him sing much, and that was the thing that he really wanted to do. Now, as a vocalist, Having been in several bands myself, I can't imagine how frustrating that had to have been, especially seeing how talented he is vocally.
0: Yeah, for sure. And as the saying goes, when the world gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Just add some tea. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. In 1967, Elton submitted music to an advertisement by Liberty Records. He failed the audition, but the A&R rep, Ray Williams, recognized Elton's talent and gave him an envelope of lyrics written by another artist that failed their audition.
1: And that artist's name was Bernie Taupin. Mm-hmm. So, so Bernie and Elton started to work together and eventually became friends. They wrote and composed songs that were classified as easy listening early on. And then Bernie would write a bunch of lyrics at about an hour, and it would take Elton 30 minutes a, to actually crank, write some music. That's for, a machine isn't right there. it? So while well, I figured that they had a formula that they stuck to, you know, maybe it was a cookie cutter type stuff, you know, early on, but yeah. apparently... They took the advice of a music publisher and started to create a little bit more complex music.
0: Well, then in 1969, Elton released his first album entitled Empty Sky. Let's take a listen to their single from that first album. This is Lady Samantha. No one comes they Lady Samantha it's a fun little ditty. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Lady it also starts our string of... of um, women's named theme songs in this, in this episode.
1: So his second album was self-titled and released in April 1970 on DJM Records. Now, you can definitely tell that Elton and Bernie found their recipe for future success, the ingredients being gospel-corded rock elements laced with ballad-tastic lyrics. Ooh, ballad-tastic. You like that? I like that a lot. So let's take a listen to the first single from that album, Border Song, which peaked at 92 on the Billboard 100 he's got a crazy voice crazy. direction another and I
0: have one that's very distinct too you always yeah. know it's him
1: you please excuse my frankness, but it's not my cup of tea.
0: Oh, hear the gosh yeah and you can start to actually here, where this next song that we're, we're talking about, the second single, which was called Your Song, which reached number seven on the UK singles charts, number eight in the US, but it's kind of similar vibe, similar sort of chord progression. Let's take a listen to Your Song. Let's do it.
1: And you can tell love this song. I never knew what the title was. The <laughs> it's because c- it's your song. <laughs> there it is. You know what? I, I love this
0: song too, but I have an issue with now
1: that it's done, it. Mmm. I you tell mine. Yeah, go for
0: it. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. So the lyrics, right? Uh. So you're talking about how much you love this person, and there's those lyrics where he's like, Yeah, your eyes. I don't remember if they're blue or they're
1: green, but but they're the they're the best eyes I've ever seen. I'm like, how do you not know what color they are then? Mm-hmm. That's not right. Mm-hmm. So to me, that means he's keeping the song open, right, to talk about different people. About <laughs> the, but
0: the next one, in case it didn't work. It's like, no, I wrote this. This is your terrible. song. That's terrible. <laughs> Wait,
1: you get a car. You get a song. You get a song. Okay. So Elton John's fourth album, Madman Across the Water, was released in February 1971. Now, the album's first song is Tiny Dancer, and mm. it's easily one of my favorite Elton John yeah. tunes. So this track was certified gold, and helped the album reach number 41 on the U.S. charts. Let's take a listen to that.
0: As Tobe would say, this is my
1: jam. <laughs> me closer, tiny Him hitting those high notes... Effortlessly. Yeah. yeah. That's sick. And the effect of the right parts. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's just
0: a happy song, too. Well, we really see him start to establish himself as a hit-making machine with his next album, Honky Chateau. This became John's first U.S. number one album with singles like
1: Rocket Man. It also began the streak of seven US number one Ooh, albums. Seven. Consecutive. Wow. That's disgusting. That's beautiful, right? So, Rock Man is such a good tune. Who could blame anyone for making a biopic and naming it after this album? Oh, that's I a great idea. We should do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's take a listen. <laughs>
0: Well, yes, yeah, another awesome song. We could easily spend all day focusing on this man's musical contributions. But let's turn our attention to his seventh studio release, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which came out in October of 1973 and contains hits like Betty and the Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. You know, my no, favorite Mondo Green track. Of, did you say
1: Benny or Betty? Betty, isn't that what it is? It, you told me it was Betty and no, the Jets. No, I told you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Benny.
0: <laughs> Benny and the Jets. <laughs> and the B-side of the title track single, Goodbye Yellow Road, contains our first featured track. Let's listen again to Screw You, Young Man's Blues, in parentheses. <laughs>
1: Now, have you, have you peeped the lyrics for this song? I've listened to it. I didn't read the lyrics. Yeah, man, man, the lyrics are cool. Really? The lyrics are cool. I, I, I enjoyed it. It's like, okay, I see where you're coming from. I I go back and look now. Boy,
0: had a lot of fun. I by the sea, was a son. My mother, she was a fisherman's wife. She was scrubbing floors. Most
1: It's cool, because he writes from different perspectives, Yeah, you know, throughout the song with all the verses and just the way that, I mean, the tempo doesn't change, but it feels like oh, the tempo it, it changes, right? It goes different right? directions, yeah. Right, just goes, so it's engaging, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know, I liked it. I pretty thought it was cool. pretty cool. So, later in the show, we're going to discuss a similarity between this song and our next feature track, but I did want to spend a moment. Just a moment, giving Elton all his props, because he has sold more than 300 million copies. I mean, that makes him, you know, one of the world's best-selling artists, for sure, right? He's had more than 50 top 40 hits and 58 Billboard top 40 singles. In 1975, he received a star in Hollywood's Walk of Fame. And his song, Candle in the Wind, was rewritten and dedicated to Princess Diana after she died. And they actually sold 33 million. Yeah, I remember that being such a million. huge thing at the time. Oh, yeah, it was, that was huge. So 33 million copies from that. And actually, that holds records for being like uh, the most sold single, I want to say, really? in the UK. Okay. Mm-hmm. He actually uh, starred in the rock opera Tommy and has composed music for Disney's The Lion King. Yeah. As well as Billy Elliot, The Musical. And actually was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 94 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 92.
0: And if that's not enough, he was knighted in England for services to music and charitable services, which is why we now call him Sir Elton John. Mm-hmm. All of these accolades would make it very hard to just step away from music at all.
1: And that's why his farewell tour started in 2018 and will take three years to finish. Three years to say goodbye, y'all. Yeah, well. That's a long years, that's, uh, goodbye. I,
0: you know, I could finish high school again in that time.
1: Those are like, that's like the, the goodbyes from the in-laws you don't like, right? It's just like a very long time. Goodbye already. Goodbye. Get out oh, you're still here. My yeah. God. Well,
0: you know, he's taking a well-deserved victory <laughs> lap. And when you're as famous as he is, more power to you
1: absolutely so let's dive into our second feature track more than a feeling by boston but first tell me a little bit more about this iconic group they're just another band out of boston on the road and trying to make ends meet right Ah, well done sir well you know what let's start
0: with that track from their debut album rock and roll band
1: let's do it let me tell you this dude's voice. Oh, crazy good. I never get tired of it. Like, no, this dude's that's true. voice is sick. Like he could sing. Yeah. Love it.
0: Well, although they were indeed a band from Beantown, their sound and songs were largely the creation of one man, Tom Schultz. Let's
1: talk a little bit more about Tom. Before we get into singer Brad Delp, who's also amazing. So Donald Tom Schultz was born on March 10th, 1947, and grew up in Ottawa Hills, a suburb of Toledo. And it's actually just an hour away from where we're standing right now. Now, his dad actually prefabricated luxury houses and did it very well so the Schultz lived comfortably. You know what we call that now?
0: Mm. McMansions. McMansions. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> nice. Well,
0: Tom grew up playing classical piano and building anything he could get his hands on. And then he took, you know, the stereotypical route to
1: rock stardom. So, let me guess what that looks like, right? So, he dropped out of school, sure. started a band, mm-hmm. slept in his car, and hustled his way to fame and fortune, right? You got right? it.
0: Wait, no. Nope, he didn't do any of that. He went to MIT, where he got both what? a bachelor, yeah, a bachelor's and a master's in mechanical engineering. So, he's He's clearly smarter than your average bear.
1: Yeah, so in, in the words of Billie Eilish, duh, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Real smart. So he landed a nice gig at a company called Polaroid as a senior product design engineer. Now, and for all you kids out there who don't understand this outcast song lyric about Polaroids, it's a reference to how pictures were made back in the day. So uh, let's listen to Hey Y'all. Let's do that. We can do that, right? Here's a question joe yeah have you ever had a neighbor come over and ask for sugar right either in your house your mom's house any house that you've lived in uh, i feel
0: like it did actually happen once <laughs> or i was at somebody's house and they, or they were asking for eggs i feel like it should happen more though wow i'm gonna knock on my neighbor's door tonight do that try not to get Let shot some sugar. <laughs> right 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 <laughs> well even though he had a great career tom still loved making music so while he was in college he had been inspired to pick up the guitar by artists like jimmy page jeff beck And his classical training on piano, mashed together with his love for crunchy power chords, overdriven guitars, helped create that Boston sound.
1: So being a mechanical engineer is a useful thing for a musician. Sure is. And Tom built a studio in his basement. Now, this is where he started to record in what would eventually become Boston's first album. Well, we've been talking about Tom as the driving force behind the band,
0: and he certainly was. His pioneering efforts certainly were a major part of their success. But Boston would certainly not be the same without the magical voice of singer Brad Delp and the other musicians that have comprised the band over the years.
1: For sure. So Brad Delp, guitarist Barry Goudreau, drummer Sid Hashan, and bassist Fran Sheehan, all were local Boston musicians that had played together at various times. And the creation of the early demos for the first Boston album began as early as 1969.
0: Yeah, and despite numerous submissions to record companies, those demos didn't draw much interest until... About six years later, in 1975. Six years! Mm -hmm. That's getting back to the hustling. (sighs) By this time, Tom had rewritten and reworked many of the songs in his basement studio, and he played all of the instruments. The strong songwriting and stellar production then finally caught the attention of Epic Records.
1: So they get signed by Epic, but the record company had a couple concerns. Now, any concern they, they could have had, I figured they could have worked it all out in six in years. six years, right? they would have figured <laughs> it out. On, yeah, seriously. Right. So first, the sound quality of the album is amazing. But they aren't convinced that the band, since it hasn't really even, it's not even a band yet, right. could, could actually reproduce the songs live. So they wanted the band to record in L.A. with a veteran producer to create their debut album. Well, Tom
0: wanted to continue working in his basement studio, so they sort of set up like a little misdirection and had the rest of the band go out to L.A., and Tom continued to track everything in Massachusetts. So 90% of that debut album is actually Tom playing and recording all of the instruments. It's crazy. So that, let's that's, take, that's nuts. It's insane. Let's take another listen to our first feature track, More Than a Feeling."
1: Where are my roller skates at? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all it was, man. Roller skating with this. Metal wheels on those bad boys. <laughs> Look out. I'm not well coordinated. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask who is Marianne? I mean, ah. She certainly seems like the one who got away. I mean, he sings about her literally walking away. Yeah, well, there actually
0: was a Marianne, and Tom did have a huge crush on her, only it was far more innocent. Turns out, Marianne was his much older cousin, who he thought was the most beautiful thing that he'd ever seen while he was growing up. Oh, yeah. So the inspiration for the song harkens back to his eight-year-old self.
1: So that is that is pretty sweet and definitely innocent. And the the other inspiration for this song was the classic relationship Uh, gone. Now he's grown up a little bit, right? (laughs) Living life, Tom. So Tom says, and here's a quote from him: It started with a love affair. I had when i was in school so the song was written about something i went through myself there was another song out then that whenever i heard it caused me to pine miserably for this particular girl and so i decided to write my own song about those feelings that song was called walk away renee by the left bank
0: oh walk away yeah let's give that one a spin yeah.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that the same chord progression that Tom used for More Than a Feeling right after Marianne Walks Away? Ah, good ear, my friend. Yes, it is. And Apparently, that was actually a surprise even to Tom. We should
0: just call those the walk-away chords. The walk-away chords. I like it. Marianne, Renee, Samantha, whatever. Whenever they're walking away, we play that. Right. Well, when that was actually pointed out to Tom in an interview, he was he exclaimed like, "My god, you're right." He like I don't even think he knew it. That's nuts. So, he not only channeled his angst over losing his girl, but subconsciously he lifted the chords from the song that got him through the breakup. So, you ever lift a song by accident? Yeah, I've done it more probably way too many times. Sometimes I'll write something and I think, "Hey, that's pretty cool. I dig that." And then I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I, that's a song that already exists that I already <laughs> like. So, yeah, I've done it. You Have you had that happen?
1: On occasion. On occasion, I have done that either with, you know, maybe lyrically, you yeah. know, as you're writing lyrics and just kind of want to evoke that same emotion. Uh-huh. It might be like a certain flow. I mean, you know, as I got older, I kind of realized and was able to kind of check myself right. and uh, and stop that, you know, right. stop make, that. Some, make something new. But, Stop uh, playing, Susie. Yeah, <laughs> But it happens, right? Yeah.
0: Well, now we get into a little trickier part of this whole sampling interpolation thing on More Than a Feeling. Let's, uh, let's hear the intros of both songs. I may leave a little side-by-side mashup of the two
1: for you. I love it when you do that. Let's do it. So this is
0: Elton's Screw You.
1: I mean, that left bank chord progression, that was an accident, but you you got to believe that this was definitely lifted intentionally from you know, Elton John, you know, right? I,
0: I actually don't think it is. I mean, I think it's what? possible. I, I think it's unlikely. How? <laughs> okay. So, I think at worst, Tom might have heard that screw You" track once upon a time and and then he went to play those guitar arpeggios, and it came out the same way. But truthfully, honestly, it's a very common chord progression, especially in Southern rock when you kind of want to get your mixolydian on.
1: Mixolydian. I'm, I'm, I need some clarification. Are we about to be slimed? Because I'm pretty sure I haven't said the phrase, <laughs> uh, uh I, I don't know. <laughs> no, don't sir. Know. No, we, we are not going
0: Nickelodeon on you. It's uh, mixolydian. Oh,
1: okay, okay, okay.
0: It is a mode that is common in music, and in this case, it's the one that is the basis for the chord progression in both of our featured tracks. I'm not going to bore everyone with music theory here, but I'm just going to say that many famous songs have used these exact same chords, and the whole descending walk down of notes that we hear is—it's just a natural thing to do when you're playing.
1: Okay, well, well, well that is true. Then I can think of a few other famous tracks that follow the same formula. So, "Can't You See" by the Marshall Tucker Band, "Sweet Home Alabama" by Leonard Skinner. Please tell me you made a little mashup for our listeners. Oh,
0: you know I've got your back, buddy. Well, here you go. Here's the intro of those songs put together for your listening pleasure. I even added one more for you here. It's uh, sort of a minor key variation. Don't Cry by Guns N' Roses. So Slash Tunes down a half to step. I had to sort of bring it up, so it sounds a little weird, but it's, it's fine. And... Just one more side note for the theory police out there. Hmm. Screw you, quickly. Kind of, it changes to keys. It comes to this blues romp and seats. The last note of the Boston Elton John tracks are actually different, but whatever. Yell at me on social. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, let's hear the mashup. Go back to Elton John and then Boston.
1: Can't you see? Marshall Tucker.
0: Mm-hmm. Little mm.
1: so pretty cool stuff and I, I think it definitely illustrates a couple of things so one we can always you know talk about music being a universal language and sometimes we are all using the same words in different ways And two, I think we can also get caught up in assuming that people are out to steal samples or ideals from other artists. And sometimes it's just far less intentional than that, right?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So, look, we're all basically stealing or at least borrowing heavily from something that came before. And that's a huge part of the joy of music, paying homage to your influences, even when you don't realize it. It can be really hard to tell sometimes whether a piece of a song is an intentional interpolation or simply a subconscious nod to an influence. But it is always fascinating to see those threads connected.
1: And you know what else is interesting? I, I've never heard either Elton John nor Tom Schultz mention the connection between these yeah, two songs. I'm with you. So it, it's not a thing between the artists. It's all good by me. So uh, it's just it's crazy how some of those two intros are. Of course, I will say this. If I had sold over 300 million yeah. albums, you I might care? not carry. Right, yeah. <laughs> you no, can call true. yourself Elton if you want. Sure, why not? <laughs> Just not Sir Alvin. Just not Sir yeah. All
0: right, let's get back to Boston and that 1976 debut album. It was released in August of that year, and it quickly became the best-selling debut record of all time. That was a long-standing title that it's only been surpassed by Guns N' Roses and their Whoa. debut, Appetite for Destruction.
1: So the Boston album sold over 20 million copies and peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 charts. More Than a Feeling reached number 5 and two other singles from that album, Long Time and Peace of Mind, also charted on the Hot 100. Let's take a listen. It's a long time.
0: Well, I'm taking my time. I'm just moving on. You'll forget about me after I've been gone. And i take what I find. I don't want
1: no more. It's and the record company, company had doubts? Stop it. I know. <laughs>
0: It's crazy to me. I mean, this is an album that still holds up sonically today. I can't even, honestly. I can't even imagine when this came out in '76. People's mm-hmm. ears must have been blown. Those guitar sounds are heavenly, and combined with Brad Dubb's vocals, it just creates a sound that's it's like the definition of classic rock.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, Tom and the band would get embroiled in contract disputes and argument with record companies over the years, and that combined with Tom's drive for sonic perfection, the output of Boston's music was stalled. On numerous occasions, they did release their second album, "Don't Look Back," a couple years
0: later in 1978, and that soared to number one on the Billboard 200. Sold over four million copies within its first month of release. Oof. Yeah, let's listen to the title track of "Don't Look Back," which reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100. I've always loved this chorus.
1: Yeah, that's dope. So due to the aforementioned issues, Boston's third album, Third Stage, wasn't released for another eight years in 1986. And by this time, Schultz and, and Delp were the only remaining members of the band. Yeah, despite the long delay, the album still hit number one
0: on the Oof. Billboard 200. It was certified four times platinum in a few short months after its release.
1: So these guys just don't think they can do wrong, right? I mean, this that I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you take eight years off doing an album and it goes right to number one. You're I mean, not, yeah. seriously, right? This also contained the band's highest-charting single, "Amanda," which occupied the top spot in the Billboard 100 for two weeks. Let's take a listen to that. I know. I remember this one, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like this started the the beginning of those 80s power it, ballads. I, I think you're right. I can hear a warrant from right. this. Oh, absolutely. And, and was it Poison? and Firehouse and all, firehouse yeah, and all, all those that. guys.
0: If you had to pick between Samantha and Amanda, which one would you go with? <laughs> I'm going to just alienate half of our listeners for you. <laughs> Don't answer that, Tove. Don't. am not going to
1: do it. <laughs> Pledito Cinco. Okay, so like our first featured artist, Elton John, there's much more to unpack than we have time for in this episode, but Boston is undeniably one of the all-time greats as far as rock bands are concerned.
0: Well, before we move on to our bonus material, I want to give one more shout-out to Tom Schultz and his pioneering sound work. He invented gear like the Power Soak, along with a sort of mini guitar amplifier called the Rockman, which has been used by numerous guitarists like Alex Lifeson of Rush, Dave Gilmore of Pink Floyd, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top, Neil Schoen from Journey. Honestly, it's a piece of gear that I definitely will add to my tone arsenal someday. And I just wanted to give Tom props for not only being a great musician, but for being a great engineer and inventor as well.
1: All right partner, Boston's debut album was released in 1976, and that was an incredible year for music. So many great yeah. records came out in 76, but I was surprised at how many of them were debut like albums, like great debut albums, right. you know. And they didn't take 6 years actually to come out, <laughs> right, that, that's right, also surprising. Right. <laughs> so since we're short on time, what do you say we go rapid fire and play a few of them? I'm going to start with some funky music by Wild Cherry. Oh, okay, all right. And have fun making this song. Oh, they had a I don't ball. Care. Making I don't care. This song. anybody say they had a And it's a true story time. too, which is funny.
0: All right, that's good. So how about uh, how about we go with the Hippopotamus debut album from the <laughs> British and Caribbean oh. R&B sensation known as Billy Ocean. Yes. Which includes this track, Love Really Hurts Without You. Baby, love really hurts without you. Doesn't sound like he's hurting.
1: <laughs> He's like singing this with gritted teeth. He's like, This
0: hurts now.
1: Yeah, Heavy. <laughs> oh, okay, it sounds like Billy might have had his heart broken by an American girl, which um. is one of those hits off of the debut album by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Let's listen to that. Yeah. I feel like We're playing a lot of good driving tunes on this episode. Mm-hmm. This is another one. Having like a Jerry Maguire moment, are you? Okay, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to hear me get crucified on social? I've Please. never seen Jerry Maguire.
1: Really? Never, not once. Whoa, I dude. know, whoa. I know, right? Yeah, whoa.
0: Okay. All right. Anyway, back to the music. Uh Maybe Billy Ocean was singing some Ramones to his girl uh-huh. in, in this track off their debut album, I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. What can I say? Because I want to be your boyfriend. I hey, little girl, I want to be a boyfriend.
1: I think the message is clear in yes. that song. <laughs> right. The message is very clear. So in 1976, I also saw the release of the soundtrack double album, Car Wash by Rose Royce. Y'all know this one. Let's check it out. Mm-hmm. Did you know this is for a movie? I had no idea. Yeah. Richard Pryor, George oh, Carlin. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw part of it. I, got,
0: I have to check this movie out. Oh, I'm going to see it
1: before yeah. I see Jerry Maguire. Man, the guitar licks on that are uh, filthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the
0: Wilson sisters also made their debut in 1976 with Hart's debut album, Dreamboat Annie, which, of course, brought this classic that I think everyone wants to have somebody sing to them.
1: Left to do oh, I love this song. So Talk
0: about great intros, too.
1: I mean, the the dude that she was singing about Mm. in this, I mean, that dude had to be through the moon. Yeah, he's still floating. Seriously. She crazy. (laughs) You know, brother, we've been slacking a bit on the past couple of episodes, and I'm not paying proper respect to the man.
0: Oh, yeah. You know what? I I think you're right. I think we need to rectify that by paying homage to Bootsy and the debut of his rubber band, which includes the much-sampled I'd Rather Be With You. I, you know what? I think I smell a future rips, riffs episode here. Let's let's listen to I'd Rather Be With You. Let's do it. Yeah, I'd rather be with you. I want to hold your head, oh, if I can, Just be a man. hmm I want to be your friend, not now and then. This song goes in so many different directions, too. It's so cool. I just love the Ooh. way you act. And that's a fact. It's funky. It's Bootsy, baby.
1: <laughs>
0: so give
1: to that. Well, I know we're winding down, partner. Yeah. but And I, I know we wanted to give uh, props to the man. I think we also got to give props to some of our listeners that have been faithfully listening to us, you know, episode after episode. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to all those folks that have been Giving us ratings on iTunes. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And the folks that have been contacting us about future episode ideas, that is awesome. Keep them coming. Keep, Keep them, them coming. coming. We love it. Thank yeah. you. Speaking of future Riff's episodes, we have to get out of here. Big Jules is cutting the mics off and about to threatening to lock us all mm-hmm. up in here and yeah. not even leave us any slim fast for us to, to, to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so what the, can you remind us all of what we covered today?
0: Well, our first featured track was Elton John's (coughs) Screw You, Young Man's (laughs) Blues. And our second track was More Than a Feeling by Boston. Right, right. So what do we have lined up for our next episode?
1: We're going to sit back and unwind, maybe hop in the water plug for just old time's sake. Mm -hmm. It's summer after all. Yeah. Y'all need to... Make sure you take time to enjoy. It. Oh, that
0: sounds good. That sounds you like it? so
1: good right Let's now. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know what? Cause it's not long before the sun goes away and madness. Stay sets cool, in man. Stay, these cool. Parts. Stay, Stay cool. cool. Stay cool. Stay <laughs> cool.
0: All right, my friend. That wraps up this episode. As always, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time for Riffs on Riffs.
1: Keep listening. Huzzah.
0: Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeAloya. producer Julie Fink, audio engineer Eric Colton. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps.
1: I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell.
0: Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs.